0: space infrastructure the next business frontier peter Canito of redwire thinks so
1: as companies like spacex and rocket lab and others were able to have successes that significantly drive down the cost of launch that was going to be a early indicator and precursor to driving up the amount of demand for space infrastructure so obviously if launch is cheaper, you can put more infrastructure up there in space. So that's where we ended up focusing. So we believe that uh, there is going to be an explosion in space infrastructure. A
0: mashup of so-called new space startups and flight legacy stalwarts, Redwire is the result of more than a dozen companies merged together by private equity firm A.E. Industrial Partners just a few years ago, and the portfolio spans the gamut. Redwire builds the camera and video system on board the Orion capsule that will carry astronauts to the moon under NASA's Artemis program. It's developing technology to manufacture metal parts in space and even attempting to 3D print a human heart. I'm Morgan Brennan and this is Manifest Space. Redwire is an amalgamation of businesses centered around space infrastructure. Like others in the sector, Redwire went public in a SPAC merger and began trading on the New York Stock Exchange last September. The stock has not been immune to the broader market sell-off, but unlike some of its more speculative public peers, CEO and Chairman Peter Canito says the portfolio represents a mix of old and new, with some businesses that have actually been putting products in space for decades.
1: We were working with a private equity partner about two years ago, and uh, we were looking at the space industry and... Um, Collectively, we decided uh, the the, uh, private equity company we were working with was called AE Industrial and um, they have just an extraordinary portfolio of um, outstanding aerospace companies. And um, they were looking at space and really sensed that there was a pivot going on in space here where space was uh, becoming what we would call investable in the sense that it was really moving Uh, from being kind of the domain of um, governments doing exploration and really becoming an important part of the economy at large. Uh, So we started looking at um, ways to invest into the space industry. And what we quickly realized was that the space industry was shaped somewhat like a barbell uh, with either really large aerospace primes that do fantastic work. They uh, have a number of extraordinary... Uh, legacy legacy space capabilities, Uh, but but they're really focused across aerospace in general. So from an investor perspective, if you were to invest in a large aerospace prime, um, for every dollar you put in, you'd be picking up a little bit of defense or commercial aerospace. Uh, It wasn't just all space. Um, And then we looked at the other side of the market and there were a lot of small niche businesses and startups, and they were great too, a lot of innovation, but Uh, they didn't have the flight heritage that you have really associated with the traditional aerospace primes. Um, In the space industry, flight heritage is kind of the coin of the realm because nobody, you know, space is a really challenging and austere environment uh, that requires uh, a lot of understanding of um, um, what it's like, what the different thermal and uh, uh, radiation uh, parameters are out in space so you really want to do business with people who understand that and um, some of these startups were uh, pre-revenue pre-EBITDA, and really hadn't flown anything so we decided to take a different approach to try to fill that middle market with a pure play space company that has what we call a heritage plus innovation strategy that brings together uh, some of the best of breed of those a niche small businesses that had been working in the space industry some over 50 plus years uh, and have really great demonstrated heritage, but have never been able to scale either due to lack of capital or lack of desire. Uh, but now that uh, space was growing so rapidly, they kind of had the tiger by the tail and were looking for a partner uh, to come in and provide them capital and, and really be part of something larger. And also combine them with some of those uh, innovative startup type companies that have proven that they could cross the valley of death, become uh, revenue and cash flow positive, but needed more capital to scale. And that's really the formation of Redwire. We did uh, eight acquisitions and uh, brought together some companies like our first acquisition was Adcole, which has been providing space hardware for over 50 plus years, is on all of the different uh, GPS satellites in that constellation and have been a part of a number of really critical programs, um, we combine them with companies like Made in Space and TechShot, which are uh, printing, 3D printing on orbit, the first company to ever 3D print on orbit, or TechShot uh, that actually has a 3D bioprinter on orbit um, that is working towards uh, ultimately printing a human heart. By bringing that together, we feel like we now have this middle market pure pure play company that has the combined benefit of both heritage as well as these breakout innovation opportunities.
0: Mm, okay, I mean,
1: <clears throat>
0: human heart, making a human heart in microgravity, we're definitely gonna come back to that. <laughs>
1: <Let's do>
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> but but first, I guess, I mean, if it's five strategic focus areas for mm. Redwire, yeah. um, based on this amassing of both old and new space companies, if you will, um, How do you think about those different industry opportunities? Where do you see the most growth?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question, because what we don't want to do is come off like we're too scattered, right? And I know uh, that that is always something that you want to make sure that you have a really kind of foundational strategy in the focus area. So when we were looking at these companies, it wasn't just about the heritage and the innovation it was really about looking at the market and saying, where are the opportunities? And the biggest opportunity to jump at, jump out at us from a focus area was space infrastructure. And the reason for that is, uh, as I like to say, um, rocket companies were really the investment of the last five years or so. Uh, and there's a number of great emerging uh, rocket companies out there uh, that people can invest in. Uh, but we saw that as an area that was already kind of being uh, looked at and uh, there were companies executing in that space for the market. But we also saw this phenomenon as more investment poured into rocket-based companies and as companies like SpaceX and Rocket Lab and others were able to have successes that significantly drive down the cost of launch, that was going to be a early indicator and precursor to driving up the amount of demand for space infrastructure. So obviously if launch is cheaper, you can put more infrastructure up there in space. Um, So that's where we ended up focusing. And um, so we believe that there is going to be an explosion in space infrastructure uh, over the coming decade uh, as um, these rocket launch companies continue to prove out Uh, that you can put business models in space that will now close because the cost of launch has come down. And that as a result, Redwire has positioned itself to provide what we call the functional building blocks of the future of space infrastructure. And these things, these are things like sensor, power, navigation, avionics, digital engineering, things that regardless of whether you're building a satellite constellation or a future a commercial space station, you're gonna need these products. And that's where Redwire has been focusing in our acquisitions to date and where we plan on focusing in the future.
0: Mm. And of course, it seems like the US government is on board with this. I mean, we've seen in general the last couple of years, this push towards commercialization of low earth orbit in general, for example. Now, of course, just recently you have the, the White House coming out with this in-space servicing assembly and manufacturing strategy as well. You seem pretty well positioned for that.
1: Yeah, we think so, Uh, and we were really excited to see that uh, come out of the White House. Um, uh, Redwire, through our legacy company, Made in Space, was the first company to ever 3D print on orbit, and we have a marquee program called Arconaut-1, which will be the first satellite that will actually print uh, components of itself and assemble on orbit, which is a critical part of the ISAM strategy, Uh, and that's going to launch in 2023. Uh, So, we're really far ahead in terms of um, some of the capabilities that are going to make ISAM uh, possible. And that's very exciting for us because uh, if you go through and you look at the strategy, I think it does a really good job of articulating all of the benefits of the on-orbit and in-space servicing, assembling, and manufacturing, like reducing cost, providing additional capability, because right now anytime you try to put space infrastructure, you're really limited by two key factors, either the volume of the fairings on the rocket that you can put the space infrastructure into, um, or the cost of all of that infrastructure being built in a way that can survive the uh, very harsh environmental launch. Uh, In-space assembling and manufacturing mitigates those two factors because it allows you to uh, build uh, in a way that optimizes for launch, and then when you get up there, you can assemble and manufacture those components that tend to be more sensitive, or it allows you to do as large as really kilometer size or greater structures in space. Uh, that'll be key to building out the space infrastructure in the future.
0: Mm. I, this might be a silly question, but how does that actually work when you start talking about 3D printing in space and, and being able to build out and assemble this infrastructure? I mean, is this all robotic space? How does that happen?
1: Yeah, well, that's a big part of it. Robotics is a big part of it, especially the assembly part. And we do have a robotics arm uh, that we're developing. But if you imagine kind of people typically think of printers like the printer that they have, uh, you know, maybe to print uh, paper uh, or something to that effect, or they look at some of the 3D printing that you see where you're kind of focused on a very small area and you're printing a part or something. But there's No reason that you can't 3D print a structure that grows out, especially in microgravity, because there's really no tension that pulls it down. So what Arconaut does is it has a 3D uh, printer on the satellite that actually prints the boom that the solar array goes on um, forward. So it kind of extends from the printer and that's why you can huh. create these really large structures because you're basically um, you know printing out a truss uh, from the body of the printer and then the robotic arm of course can then pick that up and you know place it wherever you need it to be
0: I oh, see that's really cool and of course now i'm going to ask you about the heart the human heart i actually had a conversation not that long ago with jim bradenstein the former administrator of nasa who's really keen on this whole idea of being able to 3d print human organs and microgravity and what the space station, for example, has contributed to that process. I didn't realize that it's actually already happening. This is, could be a very big and transformational business opportunity too.
1: Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. And um, I'm still sometimes get astounded by uh, the fact that this is uh, occurring myself. (laughs) But uh and and the the printing of a human heart, of course, in and of itself has uh, both uh technological and emotional ties to it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, but I think it's just one of many examples of the power of doing science, technology, and manufacturing in a microgravity environment. It's a it's a new environment that we're just starting to really understand all the benefits of manufacturing in microgravity. So specifically, when you look at um, 3D printing organs, like the human heart, one of the issues that uh, scientists and engineers encounter when trying to 3D print uh, organs on Earth is that until the structure is fully formed, it's not self-supporting. So you could imagine that until the heart, it's kind of like when you're building an archway until you put that capstone in, um, it can kind of collapse in on it on itself, um, so by printing in microgravity, you don't have the effect of gravity in collapsing the organ as it's forming, uh, so that makes it a lot easier to do and much more efficient and that's really exciting uh, technology because it's it's something that people can easily understand about um how having a a commercial manufacturing capability in low earth orbit that Mm -hmm. leverages all these great attributes of microgravity in the development of products that we could not uh, do in that way on earth. Uh, It's just one example. There's others such as crystal growth and crystal formulation that play a critical role in the development and delivery of pharmaceuticals and the purity of crystals that you can uh, grow much more efficiently on orbit and on and on and on. Um, all these great things that microgravity has to offer from, you know, in terms of a uh, manufacturing environment of the future.
0: It's just fascinating. And of course, it helps to sort of lay out the case for these future commercial space stations, as you just touched on, and uh, orbiting habitats. And I know you're very involved in one of them. The orbital reef project that Blue Origin and Sierra Space are spearheading and have gotten some funding from NASA for as well.. Um, I guess walk me through that, both Redwire's role and also just what we can expect to see from that before the decade is out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're really excited to be part of the Orbital Reef team. Um, uh, you know, again, we, our role in that is really uh, developing the key payloads and manufacturing equipment that are going to make these space stations useful. And uh, to be honest, from the Redwire perspective, we're already doing that today on the International Space Station. We've had a number of commercial engage, uh, engagements. We're not, our payloads on the International Space Station aren't just be, being used for a government-only purposes. Uh, there have been um, pilot programs associated with commercial partners uh, that we've done um, that have demonstrated a variety of uh, manufacturing capabilities and, and other uh, capabilities in low Earth orbit. So to us, it all starts with the ISS. We've already—it's almost kind of been a proving ground mm-hmm. uh, for the ability to have these commercial applications on orbit. So to see a future where we move from a purely governmental-sponsored uh, uh, presence in space to multiple commercial space stations is really exciting. And uh, Orbital Reef and our partners at uh, Blue Origin and Sierra Space have a really a great plan, but Where Redwire sees itself in that value chain is uh, regardless of who's putting up a space station, um, we want to be the ones that are providing these commercial solutions, quite frankly, the ability to uh, uh, print crystals, the ability to uh, print organs, the ability to conduct um, research, uh, biotech research uh, in microgravity. We want that to be on all of the different space stations. So uh, the other providers uh, who are putting up a commercial space station up there, quite frankly, we see them as our future landlords. And um, that's what I think is exciting to us about what's happening is that the people are building the commercial space station, which will be that kind of manufacturing facility of the future that we're going to populate with payloads that are gonna have um, a real, Commercial benefit for for Earth,
0: mm. um, which kind of speaks to how quickly Redwire is growing. It also kind of speaks to the fact that, despite going public via a SPAC, um, which has had you know its own connotations, especially in this very down market from a broader sense in 2022, um, that Redwire is revenue positive. It's cash flow positive. Uh, I believe you are. Are you profitable as well? I think on some, on some, based on some metrics, you are, which is very different than some of these space companies that we have seen now trading publicly.
1: Yeah, well, so um, that's right. So I mean, again, <laughs> we're we're not we're not focused on a comparison against the others. The re, you know we're executing our plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did have one hundred and forty nine million dollars in. A revenue pro forma in 2021, and uh, uh, we did have a positive uh, EBITDA number as well. Um, in terms of profitability and cash flow, uh, that depends on the timing of measurement. Uh, right okay. now, we're very top line um, focused, uh, but but we are very uh, we we ebb and flow above the line, not too far from the line in terms of uh, profitability and cash flow, depending on. What investments we have going on, so uh, we're certainly uh, not uh, as far off as some some of the peer group that we're typically measured against. Uh, but yeah, so you know we're executing our plan. Our plan is to do things now uh, with this great optionality towards the future. Uh, sometimes I like to say Redwire has a blue chip foundation with venture optionality. Uh, we're we recently uh, last year. Uh, had uh, two of our uh, rollout solar arrays um, in partnership with our prime contractor Boeing and our customer NASA. Uh, we had two of those roll our sol- rollout solar arrays installed on the ISS, so they're now providing uh, power to the ISS. And we're we've been involved in four different launches uh, this year of capability in space. So it's all happening now. It's all generating revenue. We're generating revenue by providing these uh, foundational components. Um, and this foundational tech, uh, some say, um uh, use the, like to use the analogy of the picks and shovels of the future of space, but we also have this extraordinary optionality around and potential for high growth around things like some of the biotech solutions, like the, uh, 3d printing of, uh, organs and, uh, crystal, uh, manufacturing associated with the pharmaceutical industry, uh, and on and on and on. So. So it's really exciting because um, uh, we have a really strong foundation for uh staying power and 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 near-term uh strong financial performance, while at the same time we have this ability to really uh share in a significant upside as the industry at large expands and as some of these breakout innovations that we have um play out.
0: Mm. Yeah. And I, I'm sure an industry gets it. I just I wonder if you feel like investors totally get it yet. Still, in in many ways, yeah. it's still kind of a new sector, even though we've been doing spaceflight for however many decades now.
1: Yeah, well, we're in it for the long run. I, I do think a lot of people uh, understand who we are and, and what we're trying to do. And um There currently is a lot of noise in the marketplace, specifically around uh, SPACs and companies that chose to go public uh, by by, uh, leveraging that uh, particular mechanism. Uh, But again, um, RedWire's management is very long-term focused, Mm. uh, and our board uh, has a long-term vision. So we believe that uh, we have a lot of financial staying power, and that will give us uh, the uh, what we need to, you know, continue to be a strong participant in the market and 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 participate in all this, you know, fantastic uh, upside that's that's coming for the space industry. Because uh, no matter, some people will look at uh, the number of months or years that this is going to take to play out, but very few people <laughs> disagree that space infrastructure uh, is now and going to be a fundamental driver of our national economy and the world economy at large. So space is here to stay. It's critical infrastructure. Uh, mm. We see this playing out right now uh, with the conflict in the Ukraine. Uh, and uh, so again, this is infrastructure that's going to continue to evolve at a very rapid rate.
0: Mm. And I guess just speaking of the conflict in Ukraine, what it's doing in terms of upward pressure on budgets as well, government budgets, whether it's defense budgets here in the U.S. or among allies. Uh, Also, the fact that the NASA budget is poised to increase again right now. I mean, looking out over the coming years, is this a trend uh, that you expect to continue to gain momentum?
1: Well, you know, this is something that has pushed. Uh, the idea of a space as being a contested domain into the headlines. Yeah. Um, for people uh, in the Department of Defense and our intelligence communities, uh, they've understood that uh, the criticality of space in a secure space environment for a number of years now, as uh, near-peer adv- adversaries have started to look at how to undermine the space power of the U.S. Um, and, uh, I think it underscores just how critical space is to not only our war fighting capability, but our economy at large. Uh, so this has been something that has been happening in the background. This has been a, a trend that's been growing. And I, and I think that's why we saw the formation of the space force yeah. uh, over the last couple of years. And now, uh, this tragedy in the Ukraine has really thrust it. Uh, into the forefront, and in many ways, it just really underscores the imperative and how we have to move out quickly and continuing to ensure that uh, our space infrastructure is secure and that people have freedom of operations in space. Uh, A lot of people like to um, use an analogy of the frontier and moving west uh, for our moving out in in space, and that's why sometimes Redwire will refer to what we do as providing Uh, the picks and shovels um, analogous to a gold rush. But one of the things that was really critical to moving west was uh, the U.S. government had a cavalry and uh, a security infrastructure out there through a series uh, to make sure that uh, the movement of people uh, and their operations and their establishment of of businesses uh, happened in a secure environment. So as we move into Leo commercially, as we move towards a permanent presence on the moon, uh, it's really important that, uh, similar to we have freedom of navigation on our seas, that we have freedom of navigation uh, in space and that there is a national security apart to that, that ensures that uh, everybody is uh, maintaining a cooperative and non-destructive posture.
0: I haven't heard it described quite that way before, but I I like that metaphor, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Finally, Talk me through RedWire's uh, presence within programs under the uh, under the Artemis program.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're really excited about uh, Artemis. We're really proud to be a part of it. Um, I think it's a great program that underscores our Heritage Plus innovation strategy. Uh, so, for instance, uh, on the Orion capsule that's part of the Artemis program, RedWire is currently providing the camera systems, uh, both the nav- navigational cameras as well as the cameras that Uh, collect technical data as part of the operation of that system. So that is a very now thing uh, that we're delivering. And that's part of that. Uh, We, of course, are on that project because of the great heritage we have in providing uh, on-orbit sensors, space sensors. Uh, But in the future, Artemis opens up uh, just an incredible opportunity for Redwire because the fact of the matter is, no matter how large the rockets get, um, you're never going to bring everything you want with you to the moon or to Mars, ultimately. So, this idea of 3D printing or what people call in situ resource utilization is one of the areas that Redwire is one of the leaders in. We were the first to 3D print on orbit. Uh, we've demonstrate, demonstrated 3D uh, printing using polymers or plastics. We've demonstrated 3D printing on orbit using ceramics. We've demonstrated uh, 3D printing using uh, simulated regolith, which is a, se- a fancy A word for moon uh, dirt or moon dust, Um, and that's really critical technologies because as these uh, permanent presence start to form on the moon uh, and ultimately Mars, you're going to have to bring these manufacturing capabilities with you because if you lose your wrench or you lose (laughs) key tool, uh, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to be you're not just going to run down to the local Home Depot and pick a new one up. You're going to have to print something, and uh quite frankly many of the structures like if you think about how you're going to build permanent structures it would be inefficient to uh, launch a a starship with a bunch of nothing but concrete in it uh however if you could use uh a lunar lunar regolith printer in order to form bricks that could be then assembled into some sort of permanent structure uh that would be really critical and uh, red wire is on the forefront of those technologies now so We're excited about what's happening today. We're also uh, providing the solar arrays for the power and propulsion element of the Lunar Gateway with our partners at Maxar, um, in addition to the cameras uh, for the Orion capsule. So there's a lot of uh, great revenue producing um, capabilities that we're providing Artemis now, but we're really excited about the future of what Artemis means for the industry and particularly some of these breakout technologies that we have. Uh, that will be critical to uh, this permanent presence on on the lunar surface and ultimately Mars as well.
0: Very cool. Last question for you. Are you still acquisitive? Are you still looking to buy other companies? Yeah, I mean,
1: uh, our history of being able to successfully uh, execute on accretive acquisitions is one of our key di- differentiators. Uh, this is where we come from. Uh, so I think it would be a strange for us to not continue that uh, successful track record of uh, acquiring companies and and bringing them uh, into be part of this emerging growth platform. So yeah, scale is an important part of our strategy overall, and um, scaling through acquisition. Uh, is, a, is, is a key part of that.
0: That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by searching Manifest Space wherever you get your podcasts and by following the Squawk on the Street podcast. For more on the space race, be sure to watch Squawk on the Street on CNBC. I'm Brett. <laughs>